This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Welcome to C2, this first virtual iteration of C2. I'm a Montrealer. I'm Cheryl Lazar and was at C2 last year in person. So it's great to be involved again from Venice, California, basically in my, my bedroom. Makes it, I guess, a bit easier. I also want to say hi to everyone joining from around the world. Let us know where you're from in the chat. Although I'm very sad that I can't be home. So this is like, this is good, but it would be nice to be home with my family and all of you right now. But this is good enough, of course. With that said, audience interaction is at the core of the C2 experience. So I encourage you to submit your questions for Gary on the right hand side of your screen. I'll be asking some of these questions towards the end of the session. So thank you again for joining us and interacting as well. Gary, it is so great to see you in these crazy circumstances right now here at C2. It's great to see you, Shira. Thank you so much to everybody at C2. I am also pretty devastated. C2 has always fallen in that first weekend in May, which has always been my mom's birthday weekend, and my mom is my mom and my hero, so I never travel in that weekend. So for about seven or eight years, I've dreamed of doing C2 when it first kind of hit my radar about a decade ago. Uh, had have been invited in the past, was devastated that I could never really make it logistically work. So under these wild circumstances, uh, I'm glad to be here, but I am, I'm hurting a little bit because some of the restaurant, you know, I grew up in the wine business and yes. the restaurant and wine scene in Montreal is something I admire totally. very much. So I too wish I was there. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll have to have a, a drink in person, hopefully at a certain point soon. Uh, but I just want to ask you this because I'm asking a lot of people this when I interview them right now. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I, I you know, uh, the reality is, and and it's really fun to do this with you, Sherry, because we've known each other a long, long time and have yeah. been through this journey together. I think you know me, which is, you know, I I'm a simple dude, in a lot of ways. I'm a I'm I'm very out there, but I'm quite small and private in my actual real life. And what I mean by that is, as long as the 15 people I love the most in the world and then call it the next 100 or so closest friends in the world. Luckily that graph has gone through this process so far with a bunch of health and nothing that it has really caused deep despair. And and you know my business challenges which have been substantial this year are just not, I don't, even though I'm known to everybody in this audience, I'm sure or the people that know me in this audience as an entrepreneur, and of course in, in public that's what I talk about, it's a very distant second to how mm. I live my life. And what I mean by that is business struggles are just so not important in a world where you know millions of people have lost their life prematurely during this pandemic. And I think we've, we, you know, people going through war or tragedy, they become accustomed to their reality. I don't take it lightly that I've been able to navigate so far through this pandemic with the people I love the most being healthy. And so, when you ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing great because that thing's in place. As totally. far as business you know, and creativity and all the things we'll talk about here, there's plenty of challenges, but in a lot of ways, I like being an entrepreneur. And I think the, the wartime, the tough times of entrepreneurship for me in a little weird way are interesting and, and I'm, I enjoy the tough times, the 9-11s, the great recessions, the, the pandemic, from a business standpoint, obviously those are horrific things, but from a business standpoint, I'm up for the challenge and I've been very focused to try to lead my organizations and 
Um, and that, so that's what I'm focusing on, the optimism of it. I, well, I appreciate that transparency because I think people see you and they see that like, yeah, the hustle and the wins. And it's always, it feels like a lot of success. And for you to share that, yeah, it's been challenging business-wise and I've had some failures. Can you get into some of those, I guess, failures and the lessons you've learned from them or how you've navigated that? You know, our Vayner, you know, Vayner Media is the company that most people know if they even know me outside of, you know, I always laugh when people are like, he's a motivational speaker. I'm like, man, I, w I need to do a better job branding because, because yeah. I spend 98% of my time running a, a thousand person global company. You know, the lesson learned, I'll go backwards, is something I've always known, but it's always a great reminder, which is you are not in control. Vayner Productions, our production company, and, and Boehner Speakers, our speaking bureau, were incredibly in place to have tremendous years because of the work we did in 2019. Both have gone to zero, basically, because there's just no way to navigate this reality. So that's happened, that's been a challenge. It's tough to stand up businesses that are losing lots of money. It's, uh, what you sign up for. Uh, VaynerMedia, the core business, had a lot of clients push out their payment terms, um, cancel business, go out of business. That led to the part that most breaks my heart, which is you know, 80, 70, 80 employees over a four month period had to be furloughed and let go. I know yeah. these people. You know, I know that their mom is sick. I know that they've been here for five years. It's, it's so lonely. And especially because I don't hide. So I, my company knows every decision goes through my desk. Everything that's a problem is my fault. Accountability is something that the world really doesn't like to do right now, but I think it is mm -hmm. a liberator. And so when, when, when somebody reaches out, can I talk to you after they've been let go, they've been with you for six and a half years, and you know that they know that you signed off on them being let go, that is as uncomfortable as it gets. Uh, I've learned, here's something that I think is gonna really bring value to the audience, I hope, even if it's mm -hmm. for one person. On stage, I am unbelievably candorous, right? Gary, I love your no bullshit style. In real life, and again, sure, it's fun to do this with you because you have a, you know, you know me a little bit more than most people because we've spent time at South By and different things. I, I'm, I'm very soft as like a human, mm, so, which, yeah. which means my greatest shortcoming as a professional has been candor, believe it or not, to my employees. And so through <laughs> this period, I've leaned into candor and it's it's helped me. And so I've learned the value of candor. I, I view candor now as kindness. I used to view candor as being mean. I really did. I didn't have a good relationship with candor. I looked at it as like hurting somebody's feelings and I was so, talented in business that I would be like, I'll put this on my back. But what I was doing was not communicating, building resentment, and then eventually firing, which caught people off guard and led to probably the, so I'm very, I've learned candor during this time, or or I've taken my candor game from a two to six during this period, which I really enjoy and I'm, and I'm aiming for eight or nine. It seems like having uncomfortable conversations and not just on stage and on social media, but like in person, which is actually more intimate and real, right? You know, just can't, you know, on stage, I'm talking to the world. I'm talking in the macro. Yeah. You know, why, why do I like Q&A? And please, everybody who's watching, get very detailed with any of the questions you have. 
in, in Q&A, in real life, you go micro, you go detailed. And so on yep. stage, when I'm telling you, hey, the world, you know, don't worry about your parents' opinion, that's right to lead to happiness and lack of resentment, you know, but in real life, when Ricky loves his parents, it's, it gets much harder. It's easier said than done. I want to, I love this. And this is like the personal growth, Gary, that I love to see. Um, but I, a lot of people here, obviously marketing and in media. And I, they're also, I think there's a lot of now we're all entrepreneurs in a way, even if we work with a big company, you could say the division is, can be like a startup. Um, you probably see so much and get pitched so much. How do you know when something is worth taking on or moving into as an industry or a project? Like what's your filter, including right now? Um, my filter is really um, my personal opinion based on data or intuition around actual consumer behavior. I think my career has gone really well because um, I don't overcomplicate things. Do people use this? How do people like it? Do I understand how it can grow? And so Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, you know, Venmo, those investments were really thoughtful and I did quite well and that was around the time we'd started to know each other and that was early, mid-2000s, South By era. Those were common sense investments by me. I knew mm. that they were good platforms. I knew people were using them. I could see where this was going. The mobile device was something I bet on. So it made sense. Um, the thing I learned after I made those good investments, the next tier of bad investments, the theses were right. Made, but the entrepreneurs weren't strong. What was different about oh, 2003, man. four, five, six was a Kevin Rose, uh, a Travis, uh, uh, a Mark Zuckerberg, you know, a Tara Hunt. These people were actually entrepreneurs and technology had come. As entrepreneurship exploded and money started coming in, you had a lot of people that were executives or worse, nightlife promoters, you know, kind of just like coming in and thinking they could build billion dollar tech companies. And where totally. I got caught was I liked the thesis, but I misunderstood, I would look through the lens of if I ran the company. And there were mm, great companies, yeah. and even good entrepreneurs, Gawala, Highlight, some of these things that, you know, really were great. What The miss was the entrepreneur's ability, even if they were strong in the case of those two companies, to really navigate the business to be a business and so I learned a lot in that era. So today what I look at is the jockey and the horse. Do I like the horse, the app, the idea, the business? Do I like the thesis? Of the, do I believe that people are gonna eat healthier and those foods are gonna do well? Yes, but I'm spending a lot more time looking at the jockey. Is this just a great you know, student that went to McGill or Harvard or Brown and just has a great resume, but are they actually an entrepreneur? Do they have patience? Are they just good at raising capital or are they good at leading men and women? You know, is she capable of pivoting when it doesn't work? Rachel, you know, Rachel, you know, at, at, at Micmac is, is investment mm -hmm. I'm involved in. And for everybody in e-commerce, you should check out Micmac. I knew Rachel was capable. It's an e-commerce yeah. platform okay. for omni-channel brands. If you sell on Target and Walmart and your own DTC and on Instagram, it's a, it's a SaaS business that really makes that effective. I knew that she would pivot and she started as a QVC of mobile and now she's a she's a SaaS product that is enabling the biggest brands in the world to win on e-commerce. That's a big pivot. I saw that in her eyes. That's what I'm looking for, the jockey and the horse. I love that. How do you come into an already inundated space and make a mark or do you? 
And this uh, is it could go for entrepreneurship yes, or brands that say like, brand. yeah. You outperform, you know, absolutely, right? You know, like going into the car industry is hard, but if Tesla makes a better product and navigates better, it can win. I actually, you know what's really funny that you said that? I've been thinking a lot about search engines lately. I have this oh. weird, almost like out of body feeling that Google could be disrupted. Well, that, they have an antitrust issue right now, so. Fair enough, and to be honest with you, I'm undereducated on that and, and wasn't the premise. The premise was, yeah, I know. you know, that it just has been the leader for a long time, right? You know, like Apple with the mobile, like why can't BMW or Tesla or, or, or Instagram come out with a hardware phone? Um, I, I just, or something left field, two young gals in, in Berlin just are hardware geniuses. I, I think people get caught. I made a lot of smart decisions, money, business success on understanding that people looked at print and radio and television and they put it on a pedestal and they didn't see Facebook and Google. I now am actually starting to feel that Facebook and Google and, and Apple are now the vulnerable and I'm kind of getting mm. excited for who wants to go, like who's gonna make the greatest TV set that's fully integrated for shopping? Like they're just feel, I don't know what it is, but kind of, and then my hairs are going up my back right now. I think some of the biggest things we know are on the precipice of being disrupted or things like Microsoft. I mean, I'm very, I'm very impressed by Microsoft the last two years, three years with their new CEO, just being more contemporary, making good macro decisions, LinkedIn, tripling down on gaming. Like, so, those are the things running through my mind. You can you can out you can disrupt by just outperforming. I mean, I, that's that's well said. Um, and then I th- think also understanding those communities, like not coming in. Like if you're coming into TikTok, it's already there's a lot going on. You need to be embedding yourself and having people oversee that project who are in that community. I think also that's where companies make mistakes sometimes. For sure, and look, you're an early mover. You and I talked about Musical.ly and TikTok three years ago, yeah. right? So you've had a career, YouTube, and you and I with video, YouTube, Viddler, those days, you've always had a strong knack at understanding where the con- consumer's attention was early. So you've been able to now, you know, we're not as not young as we used to be, Shira. So we've, uh, we've now had some reps. Speak for myself. I, know. I, was, I was trying to set up, I was trying to set up, <laughs> anyway, I, you know, I think that, I think that, what you've seen is you're exactly right. And the flip side, there's just different dynamics. The greatest commercial that Ocean Spray has ever made was made by Dogface, you know, for them. So you just have all these dynamics of creative, you know, back to the macro context of this festival. I think being an entrepreneur is actually wildly creative if you're an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people view themselves as entrepreneurs, but what they are is operators. They're very good at Excel Mm -hmm. sheet, finance, raising capital. And so I think inherently entrepreneurship is one of the most creative things of all time because everything is a blank canvas. Everything's Mm -hmm. a blank canvas for me. I'm always looking at angles of like the, the not yet established, because that is always where the most excitement is. And I think a lot of people watching right now can resonate with that statement. Yeah, and speaking of TikTok, because I wanna get into some platforms that right now are hot, but where do we see them maybe in a year to even more than that? So with TikTok being very politicized, even almost shut down, where do you think it is headed in the next year from now? Should people be putting their efforts into that? I think that putting your efforts into something's always fascinated me because mm-hmm. when Seinfeld or MASH or 
or the Cosby Show were the number one show on television, people ran commercials, right? When Sports Illustrated was the biggest magazine or Vogue, you ran print. I have no emotion if Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat disappear tomorrow. I care that today they have an extraordinary amount of attention on them and communicating organically or through paid media amplification of creative is a very effective and efficient way. And so if TikTok, listen, I did damage on damage, meaning let me use my own slang after define it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was able to build awareness and growth on Vine, on Social Cam, on Plurk, on Viddler. Those things don't exist anymore and that's okay. Facebook mm, yeah. used to be the only, my Facebook fan page was my, was my religion 48 months ago. I haven't even thought about it in the last month, you know, which is actually something I'm trying to change, you know? And so, well, yeah, how do you I, know, like Gary, how do you know when to stop those things? I think that people are like, I don't want to stop because then I'll get out of the algorithm. Like, when do you know to take yeah. breaks on those platforms? Or when it, when you're not like happy, that? you know, it's funny, even when you said hustle earlier, when I talk about work ethic, AKA hustle, I talk about it from a happiness filter. I've been very sad that people have tried to bucket me into like hustle porn or burnout. I really have, because if you look at every yeah. word out of my mouth, not the energy in which I deliver it, but the words I've talked about, it's about the happiness of your process. It's a very, it's a very big deal to me. So the answer to your question is, is when do you stop something? When you're not happy. If you're opening mm. Twitter and you're anxious, I don't care how well you're winning on Twitter business-wise, you need to find a different relationship with a different platform or reassess your relationship with the platform. That's what, that is the main reason you should stop. The second yeah. reason is if you don't have unlimited resources and time, you need to look at the platforms that are most achieving what you want, whether that is money, whether that is happiness, hopefully happiness over money, whether that is uh, awareness growth that you may later use for happiness, whether that's raising money for your PTA, running for mayor, selling a sneaker. You have to reverse engineer what you're about. For me, this is, you know, and you know, again, something you know, and I keep referencing this because there's not that many people that actually know me more than what they see online. You know, the reason South by worked for me is, and you've seen it, the reason there was a secret wine party is I love people. Mm. The reason social media worked for me is I loved people. I love spending hours in, in comments and replying. The reason community, the app works for me is I like texting people. 212-931-5731. You know, and so like, I like, people so it's worked for me but if you don't don't force yourself or if the platform started off fun for you instagram because it was photography mm-hmm. but now it's influencer life and you don't like it you don't have to you what you have to do is force yourself to debate how happy you are you don't have to do anything other than try to start strive for that because it really matters but then if you have a company in the end don't you need to just overcome that hump and say like this is what i need to do to build my company Listen, I'm a, yes i'm a fan of being able to create skin to deal with adversity but but i see a lot of people that have a three million dollar a year business go for five and love it at three and hate it at five what i think people need to do is try to find a financial happiness graph and then live their lives mm. within those means. So to me, what I think a lot about is, you know, yes, there's things you have to do, but there, but a lot of times people feel they have to do something for their business because they have a BMW and a fancy house and they want to buy a $6,000 pair of shoes. 
my debate in that analogy is, hey, maybe if you didn't spend money on things that are closing the gap of your happiness and actually yeah. lived within the means of a business or a job that makes you happy and you lived within those means, maybe then you could have a very healthy circle instead of what I see a lot, which is people think success is money and then they start buying things because they actually need those things to cover up their unhappiness and it becomes this vicious, vicious circle. I think this is about managing your own P&L you know, not getting too into debt. It's why I worry about college a lot. College for a lot of people brings no actual value financially, maybe spiritually or happiness or fun times or memories. And what it does is it starts them off in a place where they have to strive for money and they, they're never able to get out of that mistake and they're 42 years old, still in debt and lived a life doing something they didn't love, but they thought they had to do it to pay down their debt. Yeah, it gets people started in scarcity. Yeah, you're saying really resonates and like I could get into that, but I'm not gonna get into it too much. But I think that hopefully everyone on a personal and professional level has taken something from that because I do think that money brings anxiety and the minute you take that anxiety out and you simplify, there's actually a lot of freedom including creative freedom. That's where creativity can thrive. Um, and so I wanna, you know, cause we do yeah, have quick, a lot real of- Real quick, yep, you know real quick. You know what? Yeah. I, I think when you look under the hood of pure entrepreneurship, those women and men love the process. I was 34 years old before I made a video. I just loved building my dad's liquor store for him. I loved it. And, and entrepreneurship and creativity have become convoluted a little bit and people think it's about money and the demonization of that is unfortunate, but I understand it because a lot of people do go in there with a very unhealthy, starting point but i think when you get back to process and enjoyment of it uh, you know if uh, you know this is why i still garage sale i actually enjoy it people make fun of me on my i know i can't believe sale. that I, I am amazed like so so you're doing the garage sales you have your cards right now which is, is mind-blowing yeah. um is there a business around cards like should companies be like i'm gonna make a card now because there's a huge business around that yes. now there's a, yes there's moments around cards and you know I, I think Pokemon is some of the most creative stuff. And and yeah, I think you, you watch trends and do I think that like influencers should think about starting their own card lines and do I think brands should? Yes, I do. And then by the way, like pogs, like cards, like, like, you know, like fashion, sometimes jeans are low and baggy. Other times they're tight and high. Like it yeah. just evolves. And if you're not signed up for the evolution of creativity, well then you might as well change your profession. So what platforms should people be looking at right now and then, you know, looking out to for the next year or so or two years to start like investing in or, um, you know, putting their time into that or trends that so like, so I if hear, there's platforms yeah, that come up, it. yeah. Yeah, I, I think I've become more thoughtful in this answer. I'm pretty excited about answering this because I think I have a, uh, a nice way to break it down. I wanna break it down into organic and paid. When I hear what platforms should people be paying attention to, I used to answer blindly and I didn't give an, well, I didn't answer blindly. I gave the current state, but I didn't break down this point and I think this will help a lot of people. If you're talking about organic, not running social media ads to achieve whatever you want, then you gotta talk TikTok and LinkedIn because those are the two platforms where you can get organic reach. Every person here with no audience can go make a video, a picture, a written word, post it on those platforms and start building audience because there's still not enough content to fill the pipes mm. of the consumption. If you're talking ads, now you talk Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube pre-roll, 
Facebook's a monster, especially if you're targeting 45 to 90 year olds. Instagram stories and Instagram. 90 year olds. Well, sure, there's a lot of businesses to sell to 90 year olds. Oh my God, are 90 year olds even on Facebook? 90 year olds dominate Facebook. Facebook nine 45 zero? to Yes, oh nine zero, sure. One day you'll be nine zero and you're no, gonna wanna be on the Facebook of time because you're gonna care about your granddaughter and you're gonna care totally. about this and you're gonna care about issues and, <laughs> and memories and connecting with your long yeah. lost friends from 60 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so anyway, nonetheless, it's an organic and paid split, organic for everybody out there with not the means to run media. It's TikTok and LinkedIn. Media, it's really heavy, Facebook, Instagram. TikTok itself also has a great ad product. LinkedIn does as well, actually, if you're trying to sell B2B, mm. but YouTube pre-roll, it, it, then the, the chasm opens up because then they all become underpriced if you really know how to media plan inside of them because right now the biggest companies in the world still don't spend enough on social media platform marketing, which means mm. the ads are underpriced in comparison to programmatic digital or print or radio or television. But do you see um, brands wanting to have a more like holistic spend? So they'll go to an agency and say, okay, we want you to handle all of it. Like it'll be the TV, prints, out of home, social, or do you think, do you see it still as divided? It goes both ways. You know, I'm very proud of where VaynerMedia is. We came from community management and social to now doing three Super Bowl spots last year, full creative AOR for Scott's where the media and creative AOR, like the Mad Men era. So we've um, we've definitely evolved up. And I think that some of the great iconic creative shops are, are in need of coming down because when they think of social creative and media as an afterthought, a nice to have, or that silly little thing that's not as important as this creative thing up here, it's going to make them quite vulnerable in the next decade. Yeah, what do you think of texting platforms? Like you mentioned community that you're on. How can uh, brands and companies use that? I mean, I launched something for my dad called Wine Text anybody who buys wine, please sign up for Wine Text. Um, that has transformed his business in 18 months, has literally brought hmm. the business back to the levels of when I was there in my prime. Wow. So I think text as, using text the way we use email is showing results like the late 90s. Huge open rates, huge engagement, huge conversion. We'll ruin it like we did with email over the next decade. Hopefully we learn <laughs> yeah. from email and we don't just make it spam, offer, 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 offer. So yeah, but, well, what's the strategy speech. around that so you don't troll people? Because like I feel like, but I'm a bit older, so getting texts as like promotion or from brands, it's weird to me because it's such a personal feed. Not, not if it brings you extraordinary value, right? The reason wine texts work, for example, is we're selling $80 wine for $30, period, end of story. And because okay. so we, we only have to offer 365 wines a year, we're using our buying power, we're throwing a huge buying team at it, and we're, we're able to get that. And so it's not gonna be weird if you get your favorite product for a True. disproportionately better price. <laughs> there you go. Like it's, well, it's what about, about value you though? But like you're everywhere. How are you making your brand different over text? I'm replying and something about the intimacy hmm. of getting a versus text. Versus a DM? Sure, versus a DM. Sure, when I tell you that if Randy the Macho Man Savage texted me back in 1987, I'd, I'd still be talking about it. Heck, I'm making pretend it happened right now and I'm still talking about it. When you care about somebody and they text you back and it's not a bot, that gets exciting. And, and I think we all 
appreciate an acknowledgement, a wink, a head nod, a looking up when they signed a book and saying hi. Uh, whatever the, us getting acknowledgement from somebody we admire has always been a human trait. And I think texting and replying, there's a level of even more oomph. I mean, people go crazy and are excited when somebody likes their post. When they get a DM, it's yeah. all time. When they get a text, it's all time, all time, at least in the current state of communication. Uh, we're about to get to your questions and please continue to include them in the comments, in the chat. Um, what industries are interesting to you right now as an investor? I apologize, one more time. What industries are interesting to you right now as an investor? Direct to consumer brands that are actually sustainable and aren't just good at internet CAC and LTV numbers, but are actually holistic and building brand and building macro LTV. I think every category, soap, glasses, toothbrushes, rings, um, every single category will have winners over the next 20 years in the consumer product land. Anything you buy at a Costco or a Sainsbury or a Walmart or any big store around the world will be, will every product in those stores, convenience stores, every product in those stores will become something that goes direct to consumers. So there's unbelievable amounts of opportunity there. I think the other thing that really is interesting to me is voice. I'm very high on voice AI, mm. Alexa, Google Home, Apple Home, but I think those things are gonna play out over the next decade. So that's a little early, but I'm watching it very carefully because I think humans, the reason I bet on this was because people don't like friction. The reason I'm gonna bet on voice is people don't like friction. Hey Alexa, send me a pizza, that's fast. That's fast. And that will be real life. Somebody's gonna play that out. Um, it may not be the way we see it now. It might come through a phone. It might be clothes that has a loop. It might be a hat, it might be glasses. It might be the paint that is smart paint in your home. I don't know who wins the voice game, but I know the mm -hmm. voice game will be won because it's faster than grabbing your phone and doing it on your phone. And speed and then, always wins. Yeah. And then, and you said it's too early, so I'm going to wait and see. At what point then do you come? Watch, in? take me when when something hits. You know, it's the same. You know, I watched Friendster and MySpace, and then it was like, wait a minute, this is happening with Facebook. That's when I hit social media. I you know, two years ago, I went to Amazon's TechStars incubator around building apps on Alexa, meeting people, talking about it in public. I say it here. Three people email me, Gary at VaynerMedia.com. Hey, I heard you say this at C2. I'm doing this. Take the meeting, take the meeting, meet the kid, meet the person, meet the OG. Then be educated, then hit when I feel it's time. So it seems, can it be ever tiring? Like, do you ever get tired? How much sleep do you get? And we're going to get to the questions. I just wanted to ask this because I just want to understand how you. Yeah, your morning routine, uh, like what do you do? I slept, two days ago I slept 10 hours, last night I slept eight hours. I've always slept oh. six or seven, except for extreme traveling, which was occasional. Again, this is where this is where you realize the world is a headline reading society, not an actual article reading society. People would hear one quote from one keynote and make an assumption. When I, I am fueled by gratitude and happiness, which gives me high energy when I'm awake. I like to be efficient when I'm awake. But I've long said weekends I'm checked out, seven weeks of vacation. I, I sleep plenty. It's just that I think that I'm very high energy when I'm awake because I'm happy, because I love it. But then how do you get everything done? Like, do you, do you ever get overwhelmed? Oh, get like, is there? A is there ever a stressed out, anxious Gary V? Like, and how do you deal there's, with those moments? Depressed even? Out, there's not a, the only time I'm stressed out, depressed, anxious businessman Gary V 
is when people aren't treating each other well in my organization. It kills me. Culture. That stresses the shit out of me. I got a text last night around a, a, a brush up of two employees at 10.50 and it took me 10 minutes to be, that upsets me. Getting a text that says XYZ client fired us for a million dollars doesn't even register. Getting a text we didn't win wow. the business doesn't register. The money part, fuck the money part. The, the happiness part. It was the same reason I was bad at candor. I don't like negativity. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to lead with candor. I don't like negativity around people so when they're fighting with each other, I get upset. We need to, that's why I spend so much time on HR. I, I'm doing what I'm good at and what I love. There's people that don't get anxious when they ski, when they garden. There's people who don't get anxious and aren't upset and never burn out from playing tennis or golf. My love is my work. I, I, as a kid, I shoveled snow. I washed cars. I had, you know, lemonade stands. I did baseball cards. I, this is the thing that people haven't connected yet. There's a group of us who just love the process of doing business. It's more, it's not about the money. It's about the game, the way people look at gardening and skiing and swimming and. Yeah, it's your flow. That's what you're saying. It's it's like where you find your flow. I'll give you an example. My mother's flow is being a mother. My sister was anxious being a mother because her flow was also working, but she thought you had to stay home like my mom. Once Mm -hmm. my sister created balance between now she's a real estate agent and a mother, she's in her flow. So for my mom, being a mom 24 seven was sheer happiness, no exhaustion. For my sister, because it wasn't purity, an hour of laundry was devastating. For, For a lot of people that work, it's not their flow, so it's terrible. For me, it's my flow. So, so as we enter this, I think this new time where mental health is at, you know, is in the focus, right? Everyone's working from home. Um, there's a lot of burnout happening. How do you make sure that employees feel like they're seen and heard um, and you create a good corporate culture where wellness is integrated? Is that possible? By, by, by seeing them and hearing them. We, have a, we, we, we reinforce our unlimited vacation policy. We, we talk to our managers about not creating unconscious bias and subconscious bias around people taking time, which is huge. Uh, we're implementing a really interesting thing. I own a, I own a site, 137pm.com. Please everybody go check it mm-hmm. out. A young male media site to compliment purewow.com that I bought. We are now going to be implementing January 1st. It's the first time I'm saying this, my employees don't even know. Uh, at 1.37 p.m. Eastern every single day, we're gonna be doing a guest 15-minute speaker that's gonna come in on Zoom. And what I'm, what the reason I'm doing it for 15 minutes is if I do it at 1.37 p.m. and sometimes it's Shaq and sometimes it's Shira and sometimes it's somebody else coming in, whatever they're talking about for 15 mm-hmm. minutes, if it's at 1.37 p.m., my hope is that that means at 1.30 to 1.37, people will take two seconds and just recalibrate because people are just going Zoom, right? You know, yep. and so I'm hoping to break up patterns, right? Then, then the 15 minute talk, you got another eight minutes. So I'm hoping, and by the way, they don't even have to tune in for the 15 minute keynote. So I'm almost mandating a 30, 30 minute break with this concept. So you're doing some things from the top, but most of all what you're doing is you're reminding people that life is a self-awareness game, that a lot of people are blaming companies, but it's actually their own insecurities that they were parented on 
that are manifesting through the way they're handling their work. So we wanna blame technology, we wanna blame the bosses, we wanna blame the government, but what it really is is how we were parented and who we actually are because we have anxiety everywhere. We're just bringing ourselves to work. This world is just exposing us. Technology is exposing us more so than mm-hmm. it's changing us. People want to go there because they don't want the accountability. It's more fun to blame than to be accountable. Shira, it is more fun to blame. Pointing fingers is a fuckload more exciting for people than pointing thumbs. Pointing fingers is a lot more fun than pointing thumbs. And the more you point thumbs and take on accountability and do self-reflection and self-awareness and then deploy self-love and realize other people have shortcomings too, then you can get to a place. Then the blame game is a depressing game. Yeah. Not, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I, I agree. And then I, my hope is that we can all come together um, to make sure we're all seeing that because, you know, it, it takes a village. It takes a community to make change, right? Right now. Yes. Um, we do but have questions. Biggest, but, but, real quick, but the biggest part part of the community is you with yourself. You you lead by example. Mm-hmm. It starts with you, yeah. It's It's, you know, if you're going to have help, you need to help yourself first and you need to create a framework that allows others to help and that needs in its core foundation accountability. And I'm telling you that is a huge unlock. Anyway, mm-hmm. keep going. I wanna know when you, where you discovered all this stuff. If you did it in therapy or through your own work, what happened? I think, I think my mom parented me in a way. I think being an immigrant and not having much, my circumstance created it. I think, I think therapy and just thoughtfulness I'm an observer by nature, which has made me good in what I do, but that also allows me to observe bigger things. I think caring about it, you know, again, I think when 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 people realize that it's not about the money, it's not about the accolades. When, when I do this keynote, as incredibly humbling as it is to be a keynote here and do this fireside, I'm coming into this with the mindset of say one thing that starts the process for one person to get to a better, happier place. That... When that's your KPI, everything changes. Okay, well, speaking of which, we do have a lot of questions. I want to get to them because we don't have a lot of time. We could continue talking about this forever. I love it. Uh, So one question, what can virtual event organizers learn from Twitch? Are you into Twitch right now? I am into Twitch. I remember the day I went from Justin TV. Uh, I'm actually wearing a version one hat, the esports team I own with the Minnesota Viking owners, uh, the Wilfs in this arena. Um, What they can learn is that is that iconic pillars of culture can pop up at any time. Let me remind people that hip hop is a modern day phenomenon. Esports, UFC, mixed martial arts. These are three major things in our system. Influencers on social media. All four of the things I just mentioned, non-existent 40 Mm -hmm. years ago. Didn't exist. So the biggest thing you can learn from Twitch, it's success, it's success and people being into esports is in the rest of our lives, there will be many things that come along that right this second do not exist and become an entertainment, an escapism, a framework that impacts billions. I love that. Do you think uh, virtual events are just gonna grow right now or are we gonna get sick of them? I think virtual events are gonna evolve in a great yeah. way. I, I, I think there's gonna be mixed I think real life events with virtual elements are so cool. Imagine a week's worth of virtual events leading up to the weekend that the real thing happens. Imagine imagine being at the real thing and there's virtual ones going on at the same time. 
Um, I think virtual events themselves in a halo are gonna incorporate people more. Like for example, I wish I could see 75 people's faces even if they were small boxes right now on the right side. The chat stream, for me that's good because I'm chaos improv for other people that would distract them but give me the option. You know, so I think there's gonna be innovation. Yeah. Chaos improv. That's a new one I haven't heard before. Uh, so this one, uh, how do you see business marketing strategy change in this pandemic climate? Also, do you predict a major uh, shift to cater to the new generation? How? Well, I think the shift to the new generation is happening. Therefore, yeah. like the world's being forced into this, not the other way around. You know, the OGs mm -hmm. have not been able to convince people to watch more television and read more newspapers and, and mm -hmm. listen to more radio, they would have chosen to. They've had to adapt to podcasting social mobile. Yeah. All right, we have uh, someone, I, I keep thinking there's gonna be a name, but it's all anonymous. Uh, what do you do in your company to move people away from blame to accountability? And you talked about it, but like when you see someone doing that, what do you actually say to them? <laughs> like, how do you I, manage yeah, that? We, we, we historically managed with sunshine and honey and deliciousness. Hey, Shira, hey, listen, you know, like, hey, you know, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes in meetings, you know, you know, when you start talking over Carol, who's on her first day, you're really creating a fear-based, you know, like, hey, just can you give it some thought? And I would do that four times. What I'm trying to become now is do that the first time, but the second time saying, look, Shira, you were politically undermining people in rooms. You are making people feel insecure and you're hurting the culture and the company now has to overthink how to manage you in meetings versus actually work on the work. So to be very frank with you, this is a warning. And if the behavior continues, you're not gonna be here. And by the way, I, I love you. Like you've done a great job to get to this point and you were a great executor, but now as a manager, you have some shortcomings and I think it's around insecurity. How do I make you feel safer? But you cannot make people feel this way. So that's that's the evolution. Hey, looks like you've practiced that. <laughs> I love that. Um, you mentioned that you keep an eye on anything that reduces friction or anything that makes things faster. But how do you balance this out with the growing hypotheses that human-centered design leads to harmful companies? That, that I think the conversation around harmful companies is immature. I think we're in the phase right now of the demonization, you know, the social dilemma, this, that, the other thing. The reality is, is we are struggling with adding the second part of accountability. If you, if you do not like what a platform is doing for you because of its lack of friction, you can, you can unsubscribe it. I equate this conversation to alcoholism. Hmm. You know, we've had a very mature, we're now very deep in alcohol culture that where now we talk about it is a disease for some people, it is, which deserves a certain, way to be dealt with. However, the majority of people are capable of finding their balance. Everybody here, if they're so unhappy and insecure, can delete Instagram off their phone. When I was growing up, magazines were bad guys and girls because they were showing Kate Moss at 85 pounds and every girl was throwing up in their bathroom to look like it, right? So we were demonizing that platform. We have a very immature conversation around social networks right now where it was Nirvana when you and I were there early, right? Utopia. Mm -hmm. Now it is this massively demonized thing. The answer is absolutely in the middle and it centers around accountability. Like parents that allow their children to be in their room, locked in their room for 15 hours, want to blame the phone 
how about you actually communicate with your child and you take time out of your day to actually have a relationship with your child instead of blaming Snapchat. You know, it's, it's fascinating. And that's why, mm. so what do I think? I think that people, uh, we have this conversation around fast food. Fast food is inexpensive, it's very convenient, and our society has learned how to balance when to eat chicken nuggets and when not to. And so this notion that woe is me, this machine, these evil people behind this algorithm are ruining society, these platforms are exposing us. They're not changing us to the degree that people want. People just don't like what they see when we get unveiled. True, and I think the more we've even held fast food companies accountable, they've even decided to step up because if you don't call people out, they can be like, you know how it works. It's like, I just keep going. Yeah, but like, here's how they step up. They show you how many calories it is, which is amazing, and I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm thrilled for every social media post to say, be careful, don't use too much time. I'm thrilled if Apple wants to shut down my phone after eight hours, yeah. except, if I wanna, except if I wanna use it for nine hours. What people right yeah. now are asking for is censorship. They don't realize it. Instead of accountability, they want government interference or like for these companies to be held accountable. You want somebody to be held accountable? Start with your fucking self first. And what if you've done that? And then it's still a shit show, excuse my language. <laughs> then you go to the modern conversation. Thank God that therapy is not the stigma that it was 50 years ago. But meaning it's still a shit show outside of you, meaning the world around you. Like, the you world, know, I, I mean- The world's always a shit yeah. show, Shira. Like I was born in a communist country. Like this, you know, this entitlement that the world should be, like there's always gonna be stuff. We have to think about what we can do about things. You can control your household. Tobacco companies have huge warnings on them now. You know, it's about education. You know, so what, so what? Let's stop using our phones so we can just sit in front of the television. Like you're like, like people like, like you need to be educating that taking a hike or meditating or drinking water. Like you, you, the information's out there. The information's out there. You have to seek it. You have to want to change. Yeah, I mean, I think, lead, yeah, and we can get into this also. This is like so many interesting um, kind of conversations because I agree, but I think the more it becomes the norm to ask for those things and the more people are pushing for it and leading by example, then corporate culture kind of steps in and goes, they realize they need to do it too. So it's like, it kind of works in a balance, like in a relationship, right? It needs to be no, no, but point, symbiotic. Follows, yeah, but corporate follows humans. If everyone becomes available, uh, you know, everyone talks all this talk on keyboard warriors, but their actions are different. You know, Americans are about to not vote in a week. Vote, by who the have, way, if you're in the US. Who have talked nothing but unlimited amounts of shit in either the left or right direction for months and will not vote on Tuesday? The hypocrisy in human society today is laughable. Accountability will help so many people. Go ahead. So what do you think of companies making statements supporting activism that may not be genuine? How can companies promote transparency and empathy in these efforts without sounding like they're just jumping on the bandwagon for sales? And I'm sure you probably dealt with this with companies you work with as this whole um, summer. Yeah, Nobody cares about your Facebook ban if you're not doing the right, like it's just so silly. The answer to the question is a great one. By living the truth. Don't, you're way better off not saying something if you're not there 
than saying something and being half pregnant or being fake. It's like when it's NFL made a statement. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Gary, besides being a Jets fan, what has been the worst investment of your time? <laughs> By the way, I love the person that asked that. Let me just tell everybody, if you want an insight to me, being a Jets fan has been the greatest investment of my time because I actually enjoyed the journey back to everything we've been talking about for the last 45 yeah. minutes. Um, I don't think of I don't think of things as wasted time. You know, uh, if you talk in money standpoint, I spent the first 13 years of my life building an enormous business for my dad and left with nothing, nothing. You know, like had to start VaynerMedia in a conference room at Buddy Media because I had, not only did I build a huge business for him, if I wasn't a family member, I would have at least got paid well. You know, for building something from three to sixty-five million. When you build a family business for your parent, you're not making a lot of money because nobody does in a family business because the business is the other child. And so, you know, but I think of that as the greatest use of my time. My dad is gonna die one day and I'm gonna sit there after my massive cry session and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for letting me work in that store from 14 to 34 so much. I have so many more memories than my brother and sister mm. have or that I could have. And so I think it all depends on how people think about wasted time. I think 0.0, .0 about wasted time. I fear not, I do not fear wasting a second. I like to be efficient but I never critique what I did as a waste of time because it gave me experiences, happiness, escapism, financial. They all go in different buckets. There is no wasted time if you choose to not think of it that way. What are three things you wish you knew when you were starting VaynerMedia? That's a great question. I wish I knew something about the advertising industry because I came in raw, raw, raw. Mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, it's funny. Let me go, let me answer this differently. Most of the things that I didn't know became my advantages when I started Vayner um, because I did media and creative together, which is clearly the answer to the digital age. Um, I hired non-agency people that didn't come with baggage. The, the things that I didn't realize was that people had disciplines like strategy, creative account, and I thought too omni. I thought everybody could do everything and that, that wasted some time, but not really because I learned from it and we are who we are today. Um, those, those are the themes more so than three things I wish. Yeah. Do you think Instagram Reels is the same opportunity for organic as compared with TikTok? What do you think of all these new features Instagram always comes out with just to compete with other companies? I, I think it's smart. I think, I think Instagram, if Instagram didn't come out with stories, Snapchat would be the biggest platform in the world. I think it's smart. Yeah. They don't all I mean, hit. IGTV. Oh, yeah. You know this, Shira. Like, they don't all hit, but let's not be confused. Instagram stories disproportionately changed the outcome of Instagram and Snapchat. And so for mm -hmm. Facebook Inc, that was good. I think Reels has more organic upside within the Instagram ecosystem. Ironically, something me and my team, I was making fun of myself with my team two days ago because I don't make as many Reels as I should. I don't even really have the full answer yet, but it, within the Instagram ecosystem, I do think it has more potential. I don't think it has more potential than TikTok as a macro, so I would answer no, I don't think so. What do you think about the trend of internalization of ad agencies services within companies? I think it's gonna ebb and flow. I think you know brands are gonna build internal shops. They're gonna realize the, the strengths and weaknesses of them. And I think you'll see uh, brands have mixes of external and internal partnerships. Um, and so 
I think it will ebb and flow. I already have clients who've already shut down their internal shops. I have clients that are asking us to build their internal shops in conjunction with us having some fees. And I have some clients starting the process of building their own internal shops. And I expect that to always be a constant ebb and flow within every organization in perpetuity. Um, someone said, love the mission-driven DTC comment. What stage do you invest at? That's a great question. I go with the gamut. I'll go A. Uh, or seed, excuse me, if you show me an entrepreneur where she's already done something twice and this is her third rodeo and she's done it successfully twice and she's the most passionate about peanut butter, you'll see me write a check before she's done with her pitch. I'll also pass on things in series B because I'm like, eh, they're just running math arbitrage. They don't have the creative layer. They definitely aren't building brand. So I'm agnostic on when I'll come in. I'm just looking for certain characteristics. Um, someone says, I'm a huge fan of yours. What advice would you give to a 37-year-old mom of three who just finished her degree and wants a career change? Where do I start? LinkedIn. Make unlimited content on LinkedIn of your opinions and observations of the new industry you want to be in, whether it's in video, written form, LinkedIn organic reach is working. You may say one thing that catches the eye of one recruiter or one executive and change the course of your life. This is back to 2007, 8, 9 social media when it was all utopia. One piece of content can change the course of your life. Please go on LinkedIn if you're trying to change your career and make your observation around the movie industry, around the ski industry. Scratch your own itch. What do you see wrong? Write a manifesto, make a video. One piece of LinkedIn content is all it takes for you to actually change your career at 37. How are you working with your company and other companies on equity and inclusion right now? Uh, dictatorship. I used to hate cre creating status uh, quotas. I thought that if you looked at the history of colleges and other institutions doing it, it left a lot to be left desired. However, we we are mandating DNI in in levels in C-suite and you know in bringing consultants uh, from C-suite to entry level, mandating a certain level of DNI because. It was proven to me that the company, even with my intent, even with Claude Silver's intent, even with all the DNI leaders we had, we were unable to be phenomenal at it. We could be, we were in the, t in the 10 years, we were solid at it, sometimes remarkable, sometimes atrocious. And, and I need a steady flow, just like I need in finance to make sure that the PL is balanced. I need a steady flow. And so I've been interviewing chief diversity officers who will have a very big remit and a very big seat at the table. And so it's it's been a really fun process, to be frank, of going through the interview process, and I'm still in it as we speak. And while I've been doing that, I've been mandating a level of really, on the women front, on the Latino front, on other parts, we were really in a phenomenal shape. We were not where we need to be on a black front, and that's what we're addressing now. Yeah, I think that's and really that important accountability. recognizing it. goes to accountability, yeah. right? It goes to accountability. Like, I went on a Zoom in front of the whole company, and I'm like, look, whether it's bad stacks in the cafeteria or it's not enough black leaders, 100% of this is on me because I've empowered the people to take care of this. I made that choice. So I think it starts with accountability and I think it starts with action. And uh, and so I'm excited about it. Like Vayner speakers, black diversity was through the roof. My investments are through the roof, but Vayner wasn't at the, enough of a right place. And I think there's some macro issues with advertising, but that's the excuse everyone uses. We're just hiring from outside of advertising if we have to, and that's what we're doing. That's awesome. As we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to share with everyone here at C2 today? Yes. Creative and media together to create insights is the missing element for so many of you. Please, my incredible art people, don't demonize math and analytics. 
please, my incredibly mm. smart math people, stop making fun of creative. Without the harmony of the two and without the humility of listening to the end consumer to then help you ideate above and beyond it, you will become a dinosaur. And and when I think about this, the iconics, the people I put on huge pedestals, Sid Lee's, Wyden's, Crispin, there, there's so much incredible talent, but there's a need for contemporary humility and process for there to be prosperity over the next decade. And whether you're a brand, a DTC brand, an agency person, humility and curiosity need to become foundational in the creative process. Right now it's audacious, political, um, and, and there's a lot left to be desired. I would argue the creative agency landscape is the least creative industry I've come across in my 25 years, which is just devastating because the humans in it started off incredibly creative, but the machine, sucked the creativity out of them. And uh, the audacity of creative directors imposing their will on junior creatives, being the judge and the jury. There's just so many dynamics that could be better. They say things like good ideas can come from anywhere, but the process doesn't allow it. Mm. They're just, there's so much opportunity. Please, let's make the creative industry creative again. I love that. Well, Gary Vaynerchuk, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and honor to speak to you here today on C2 and to everyone who watched from around the world. Thank you. We so appreciate you. Again, you know where to follow him at Gary V. I'm at Shira Lazar. Yes, this has been awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Hey, podcast. Joe from Team Gary here. Today's highlighted review is Great Podcast by Roach Brothers Lawn Care. Gary, I own a small landscape company in New Jersey. Listening to your podcast has grown my company. Content and keeping in touch with our social media accounts on a daily, sometimes hourly basis has grown my company significantly from locals and out-of-town second homeowners being able to find it all on the web. Thank you, brother. Thanks to Matthew from Roach Brothers Lawn Care. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.